I won't be here that day, so y'all be in charge, okay? I'll be in South Carolina preaching a revival for the Nichols Baptist Church. And uh, we're going to double team it. John Ruddick and I are going to preach that revival together. I think I have the first three days, or the first two days, and he's going to have the next day or two. We're just going to see what happens. And then I'll be coming back through Columbia and being with Chris Martinez. So it's going to be a good time in the Lord. And uh, do I need to back up? Or are you guys good there? Okay. I didn't know if you wanted to sit back there. Doesn't bother me either way. I'm preaching to the wind and to the prophetic people listening via Facebook Live and YouTube. But uh, we're talking about the anointing. This is part three. And I won't belabor it too much because I've shared some of these scriptures. So I want to just share them quickly again. Isaiah 10, 27. It's been our text scripture, part three. It shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder. How many want the burden to be rolled away? Amen. Amen. You want to get rid of the burden. And it says, and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. And so that anointing oil that shame men in the Old Testament when they would anoint kings like David and so on, it, it was thick and gooey. They would, it was like lard almost. They'd just dump it on them and just, it'd come all over their head and shoulders and it was tremendous, you know, the how it would permeate the whole area with the aroma of the anointing. How many knows that the anointing should smell good? Yes. I know, I can't remember if we had it over in the other building. I know we had it in Florida where ladies actually smelled, uh, what's that flower? Jasmine. They literally smelled jasmine in the building when the anointing was flowing the altars. I would be praying for people, and, and they'd say, man, we smelled the aroma of flowers all over the building today. And that was that aroma of the anointing that was flowing. That sounds crazy to a lot of people because they're kind of limited, and they limit God by their understanding as to what the anointing is all about. You know, the anointing can do anything. It can make people laugh. It can make them cry. Randy told me before service he, he had gotten God bumps. He had God bumps out there. Instead of goose bumps, he said he calls them God bumps now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just the sensation of the presence of the Lord and the presence of angels even. I think Zach was talking about angels in his message on Sunday morning and how those, and through the last three or four weeks about how the angels would appear to Mary and Zechariah and Elizabeth and and Joseph, and, you know, angels still are here today. They're still appearing. And uh, I'll never forget Kevin Glenda Mac Montgomery uh, gave me, sent me video of it looked like angels in their driveway. I mean, they're almost translucent beings, and the dogs saw them. They were barking at them, and it was on their home surveillance system. 
And I've got a, I got it on my phone. I've got it in my pictures somewhere in there. But it's just awesome. That's the closest sin angel I've ever seen. But uh, many people, uh, Di's husband, Dennis, when he was alive, he'd be in the sound booth, and he'd tell me, there were angels all over up there today while Zach was leading the worship. And when you were preaching and praying for people, the angels were right there with you. And uh, I walked around that side of the building one uh, morning, I think before church or it was in the afternoon, I don't remember. But I walked around the chairs and I walked right through something. It was so powerful. It just whoosh. I mean, as a sensation of the presence of God that those angels come from the presence of God, you know. Mm -hmm. And they carry something with them. I mean, glory. You can experience the glory. And, uh, you know, I could get in and teach you something about angels tonight, but that's not what's in my notes. But angels are active. They, even the Hollywood group makes movies about angels in the outfield and stuff like that. Uh, you know, that's kind of silly, a spoof, but the reality is angels are everywhere. Yep. They're fighting battles. Yep. When you have music going, you know, Zach sings that song that Michael W. Smith, I think, wrote. This is how we fight our battles. And while we're singing and, and playing music, the, the angels of God are active. And sometimes they're in the battle. And when we pray, they're, they're waiting for our prayers because prayers send angels. Yep. Remember Dale Sides talked about, you know, that he said, it's like that. You send those angels out. Go, 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 you know, let those angels go on our behalf to do things, to move on people, to move on situations, to move on your money, whatever the need is, go where it needs to go, you know, and I don't know why I got off on this, but I am talking about the anointing, so it's okay, I'm in charge tonight with the Holy Spirit, but I had uh we had left New Orleans, and I left a forwarding address at the post office. And uh, I'd been an evangel graduate, and I'd sent off for a, a placement file to send to me. And it went all the way to Poplar Bluff, Missouri. And then we had left Poplar Bluff after I left Grace United Methodist as a youth pastor after that school year. And we went to Nashville, and we were staying with my brother. We got a house there, and I'd forwarded our mail from there to there. So it went from New Orleans to there to there. They don't hold your forwarding more than a year, I don't think, in one place. But it went for over a year, and it made it from New Orleans to Poplar Bluff to Nashville within two years. It made it all the way there. And then I went into that placement file, and it was like one of the the place the the listing was Faith Assembly of God Church in House Springs, Missouri. And I was living; we were living in Madison, which is a suburb of Nashville, and, and it had Pastor Ed and Karen Sherrill, and they had been my Sunday school teacher after I graduated from high school. He was my Sunday school teacher. He was a, an insurance agent at the time, and I was going to go to college in the fall. Well, he went to college in Texas and got his Bible degree at Waxahachie, Texas, 
and he'd return and began to pastor in Barney, Missouri, and then he went up to House Springs, and I'd been in New Orleans for four years and came up to Pop Bluff, went to Nashville, and I was seeking the Lord for a new direction because I was teaching in a public school, which was a great experience for me. But I was seeking that youth pastoring or place of ministry, and the Lord gave his grace to me, and I found that placement that had been forwarded for over a year and a half. It shouldn't have been. They shouldn't have held it. This, But it, I think the angel kept putting my forwarding address back in the slot. I believe that. And so it got forwarded. We went up, interviewed. We were hired. And we spent a little over two years there before I went to do home missions work back in the inner city of New Orleans. And so... You know, God knows where you need to be when you need to be there and why. What you're going to learn along the journey. How many knows we're just practicing for heaven? Our whole journey is just getting us ready for our character to become more like him so that when we go, we're closer to him and that we can be more useful to him. The more you let him work in you, the more he can work through you. And that's why the anointing on your life is so important. There's a price to be paid to get where he can really use you in a great way. And uh, a lot of people, I I prayed for a young woman in uh, Aguas Calientes this last time. I went for the 25-year anniversary. And it's kind of unusual because I prayed for all these people and gave prophetic words. I prayed from one side of the room all the way and around the corner and this way and back, starting back across again. And she and... I thought it was her boyfriend or her husband. They came up, and they were like the last ones. And I found out that wasn't her husband. She had uh, invited him to come to church, and he really needed a touch from God. But she asked me a peculiar request. She said, and I had the translator. I don't remember who was translating for me at the moment, but could have been Laura. But uh, she said, I want your anointing to preach and to prophesy the word of the Lord. I said, well, you want it? I said, are you willing to do whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to get it? Are you willing to stick with it? I said, because I paid a dear price through all these years to get to where I am now to where I can hear quickly and accurately from the Holy Spirit, and then he flows and demonstrates his power. I don't mind you having it. I'd love it if you get more than I have. But she just looked at me. She's probably, I think she was like 40 years old. She was in a, worked in for, I think, Volkswagen or something like that. She had a good job. She, she was dressed well. She, you know what I mean when somebody is put together. She, I knew she did speaking or something and she did on her job so she was a candidate to be used of God and so I laid hands on her and prayed for the Lord to impart to her whatever she's able to receive but you got to be like that bold she was bold to say I want the kind of anointing you have to preach and pray for people I said hallelujah well that just comes from the Holy Ghost you know you get filled with the Holy Ghost, you can have that kind of anointing because he's the one that owns it and gives it and distributes it as he wills. So 
the first statement I'm going to make is understanding the price is to seek God. It's a pretty simple statement, huh? What is the price you have to pay? Seek God. You know, the more I wanted to be used to God, the more I would get into prayer with prayer groups, Sister Tara and different ones, because I wanted it. And I knew the only way to get it was to be in the atmosphere where he would pour it out upon me. And so if you want it, you've got to hang around it. That's why I would even pray with Brother Gorman in the mornings sometimes at 6 a.m. And, and so on. I'd get with whosoever and everybody that had an anointing that I respected, I'd ask them to lay hands on me and pray for me. And, uh, you know, all the leaders that I'd served under, I wanted their anointing and their areas. But in Psalm 63, 1 and 2, it says, O oh God, you are my God. Is he your God tonight? Yes. So, early will I seek you. When you get up early, my wife gets up, gets her coffee, and she goes in her little cubby. We got a little cutout place over in our bedroom. I can't even see her if I'm still laying in bed. She's kind of around the corner. She's got a chair over there and all, and she seeks the Lord. She reads her Bible, takes notes, prays. But early will I seek you. Don't wait till midday to say anything to the Lord. Start early. Start right away as soon as you get up. Usually I get up, and it might not sound great, but I, I put my legs off the bed, and I sit up, and I say, Whoa, Jesus. <laughs> you know, it's like, i got to get up now. i got to get these 65-year-old bones moving. Oh, Jesus. But, you know, he's the first words on my mouth in the morning. My soul thirsts for you. The soul, the, the thing that drives us, our thoughts, our emotions, our decisions that we're going to make, it should be driven because we thirst for the Lord's presence. My flesh longs for you. The flesh not only includes the soul areas, but it includes the body. My flesh longs for you. You know, when you're young and you think you've got a little puppy love going, you see some, oh, I like her. She says, oh, I like him. He's so handsome or she's so pretty. And you, you kind of get this little butterflies in your stomach. But that's a lot of that's the flesh. It's your soul wanting a response back, saying you're all right too. But your flesh longing... It longs for Jesus. That's when your body, you, you know, you just long to be in his presence, to talk to him, to be with him. You know, I can enjoy Pastor Ken just driving through town. I just praise the Lord. I'm talking to the Lord the whole time. People probably look at me when they pull up next to me at a stop sign or something. I'm talking. Nobody's in the car with me, you know. But the Holy Ghost is. I'm just having a good time. But he says, in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Wow. A lot of people are dry. You know a lot of people are in church today and they're dry. There's no water there. It's dead. Religious. 
Now, we're not to say somebody in a particular denomination or such has to be dead. I think you can be, I tell you what, when I was in the Methodist church, we had some good services. Those people loved the Lord. And I didn't know Methodists could love the Lord like that because I'd always been Assembly of God. And so I switched for a year, and then I was with my brother in a non-denominational church. And, you know, uh, you just can't imagine how big the kingdom of God is. So awesome. But a lot of places are dry. They're devoid of the Holy Spirit. They go through the ritual. Can you imagine what it was like for them to have the teaching going on on the mountain uh, where if they had the ark there behind the veil and all that, uh, they still had teaching. But David brought the ark back to his mountain, Mount Zion. And he was out in the open in the tabernacle of David. You're going to be teaching that class. I talked to Chris Jackson, by the way, and had a good chat with him. He started a new church over in Branson after COVID. He said COVID shut down his traveling ministry. So he thought, well, I'm just going to start a church right here then. And so they got a church going now. But he is the author of that book that we use called The Tabernacle. And uh, the rest of that title is what? Uh, a Blueprint for the Blessing. I ordered one extra so I'd have a copy of it. But, you know, what an awesome thing. David had the tabernacle over here, and then the priests were over here on what mountain was it? Mount Moriah? Mount Nob. Well, anyway, they were going through the, the rituals of teaching the word or the law. Devoid of the spirit. Spirit was over here. That's fine. You learn a lot of information. But the place where the presence was is where the ark was. It was over here. And David danced before the Lord, and they played all the instruments. And Boy, was it great. They didn't have to hide thinking they're going to get struck dead, you know, by seeing the ark or, or being around it. It was awesome. In verse 2, So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. I've looked for you. I come in here oftentimes. You know the Lord speaks to me in this room? It's amazing. This is just a building. But it's the building that we call church. And I honor this room. I come in here and I walk in that doorway back there before Philip. Phillip's the first one that shows up usually on Wednesday. So... I spend time in here probably an hour or so before he ever gets here. I just walk around talking to the Holy Spirit, having a good time. The Lord has spoken many things to me in those times of walking around this auditorium. I know the prayer ladies, they, they get chairs and they sit together and they talk about what they're praying about. I couldn't do that very easily. I have to be walking around. So I get up and I walk around the building. And I enjoy, yeah, you can pray in all different ways. You can lay down and pray on your face. Some people do that too. But it's awesome to just be in the sanctuary. He said, I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. It's funny, I got a message this morning from Dr. Daniel Days from Panama. 
Central America. And he wrote me and he said, I've been, you know, he didn't say it in this message, but he's told me before that he's seen the photos of me in Mexico and places and how the power of God was moving. He wrote me this morning, though, and he said, I, I would like to know if you would be willing to come to Panama. He said, we need your apostolic prophetic anointing. He used that word anointing to come and help us to break loose revival in this nation. He felt like I was the one that he needed to contact. So I told him, sure, I'll come. I said, just let me know what you want to put together. He said he's going to look at some dates and get back with me. I don't know how many people here would like to go out of the country, but boy, what a trip that'd be. He has a, a system down there where they raise food to feed people. And they have greenhouses and, and so on where they raise lots of produce and stuff to feed people. He used to take a special uh, mixture of, I think, certain uh, vitamins and all mixed in with the rice, and they would take it to Africa. And it was helping people uh, gain strength that had AIDS. And they began to get strong and, and getting healing back from even having AIDS. And he's a very unique minister of the word. But I said, sure, I'll come. See, I've asked the Lord. I said, I'm not going to go and just ask people if I, they'll have me to preach. I don't need to just go preach. I've preached a lifetime, over 40 years of preaching. First sermon at 19, 46 years ago. So I don't need to just preach anymore. Uh, I want to make a difference. I want to have a reason to go. I want to have a purpose in going. Uh, and I very easily said, yes, sure, before I knew what I was doing. But it would be quite a trip for somebody to go and see what they're doing. Tino keeps trying to get me to go to Columbia, but I haven't felt the unction yet to go there. You know, you have to be sure when you're going to these dangerous places <laughs> that it's the Holy Spirit telling you to go, not just Tino. <laughs> so Tino's got the grace right now for it. But seeking God is the key. You seek God, you'll see His power and His glory wherever you go. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, this is about allowing Christ to make us new. And you know this verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's the anointing, the anointed position for salvation, Jesus, the Son. And it's kind of unique because the United Pentecostals, they teach that you baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that's good. And, uh, you know, uh, Jesus himself told the disciples, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Well, that denomination says, well, when you say the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord is the Father and Jesus is the Son, and <laughs> Christ is the anointed, the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, it, it, it's pretty interesting, but not totally 100% accurate, but... It is good, you know, if you're in Christ, if you're within the anointed position of salvation, then he says he is a new creation. Once you're really saved, you're really saved. Honey, when you got saved, was it on a Monday night? You came Sunday night. Did you get saved that night or was it the next night when you came? So she came back on a Monday night miracle service night. I met her on Sunday night. I had a couple of those little 
uh, African-American young men with me from the Desire Projects. And, and I met her, and so she came back the next night, and you got saved. Is that when you got baptized in the Holy Spirit too? Sometime that week. I think it was on Wednesday, then she got filled with the Holy Ghost. But, I mean, she became a new creation. Old things began to pass away. You know, a lot of people have such trouble with addictions, don't they? If they could ever get their mindset, Randy, just right, God can deliver that addiction so easily. Mm-hmm. But it's getting them re-educated, you could say, becoming the new creation. He says, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It didn't say became new. It says have become new. So it's becoming new every day. You're becoming new in all the areas of your life. You're changing. A lot of people, they just can't uh, do what they used to do. They, they, they just... I mean, boom, you quit this, you quit that, you quit this, you embrace this, now you're walking in joy. It's um, incredible. So allowing Christ, the anointed one, to make you brand new. And then Isaiah 26, 9, it says, With my soul I have desired you in the night. When your emotions are distraught, Sarah, no more nightmares. We bind those in the name of Jesus. The devil cannot throw those darts at you in your sleep to try to stop you from resting. We just bind that up in the name of Jesus and cast them aside. So in the night, your soul is going to desire him. It's funny, this last week, every night I've been, pr- I've been dreaming, and I've been in a different city in every dream, and churches... Some don't look the same, but I know it was with people that I'd ministered to in the past. Last night, when I, before I woke up, I was in New Orleans. And I ended up in this float like I was going to be in a Mardi Gras float with a bunch of Christians. There was no stuff on it like they have for the Mardi Gras floats, but we were all going to be in a float just praising the Lord. It's strange, but I knew that's where I was, and it was joyous. And I knew that Garland was there somewhere, and I think he even saw him briefly. But, but he says, yes, by my spirit within me, I will seek you early. There it is again. You can desire him in your dreams. We change those nightmares to blessing dreams, where you dream of ministering to people, where you dream of being successful in what you're doing. A lot of people get get good ideas for businesses in their dreams. It's amazing. But early you seek him. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. See, the judgments of the Lord, when you're seeking him, will cause others to learn about being right. Has anybody ever said, I don't know what it is about you, but you, you're different. You don't do things the same way we do it. You do it correctly. You see, that's the thing. That point is the soul and the spirit begin to merge together to seek God. So see, your spirit man rises up because it wants more of the Holy Ghost, more of God. 
and your soul begins to embrace what the spirit wants to where your emotions and your thought life and your decision making all comes together in that same way. So 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it's really about sanctification. But now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. In other words, he puts you in pre-soak, then he puts you in the wash, and he put the bleach in there along with the, the detergent, and he washed you and jiggled you around real good, and then he's put you in the rinse until you're completely purified. And then he puts you in the dryer. He sanctifies you, cleanses you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, isn't that awesome? Your spirit man is going great. Your soul man's at peace. You're not all stressed out about everything. I tell you, I've been at peace for a long time, it seems like. I watch those grandkids open those presents. We were over in Branson for three days. We had our vacation. I was watching them play, and then one would want the same toy as the other one had, and then another one would want that toy. It's funny how kids can play with the toy and make it look so much fun that the other one wants it. Then once they get it, then that kid goes and gets another toy, and then they say, this toy ain't as much fun as I thought it was. I want the toy he's playing with now because it really looks fun. But it's hilarious, you know. And I was just at peace just watching them, you know. Sometimes parents would be getting on to their kids and trying to give them correction. I'm kind of like, well, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to let them play. <laughs> They'll work it out, you know. But he sanctifies us completely. And makes us blameless. Where nobody has any bone to pick with us. Nobody has a dart to throw at us. At the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I say, Brother Dave, man, he's the all right guy. There's nothing. I don't have any bone to pick with him. You know, he loves the Lord. He's blameless. Before God. Now, I'm not talking about it in the body. Sometimes we snore and carry on like that and our spouse moves us my wife I, I just know you grab me I don't know if it's by the shoulders by the hands or you have my face in your hands one of those nights in Branson I said what is it what is it she said you're snoring I said okay I just turned over I don't know if I snored anymore but then she was snoring She's like a buzzsaw, let me tell you. She cuts wood all night. Now that I love her. I said, your snoring doesn't bother me. It's, it's a sound I, get, I got used to, and it's kind of like the sound that you listen to on a CD or something that distracts your mind and you go to sleep by it. So it's okay, honey. I like your snoring. I really do. First John 5. <laughs> There's a witness of the work of God in your life, though. It's the Spirit, the water, and the blood. It says in 1 John 5, 4 through 9, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. You know, when you get born again, you're going to overcome. you got the victory. You might have to fight a little along the way, 
a battle or two, but you got the victory. You're going to win the war. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Your faith overcomes the world. You may have a little struggle here and there, but you're going to overcome it. You've got the victory. Man, that's good. Who is he who overcomes the world? All right, who are you guys? He who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's who overcomes the world. Do you really believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? I do. I know it. When Aunt Barb started coming to church, she hadn't attended church probably five times in like 50 years, 45 years, something like that, longer than we've been married. And then we had her at Thanksgiving, and we said, you can come to church Sunday if you want. I can? I said, sure. We'll pick you up. Now Anna picks her up because she said, well, it's not out of her way. She says that all the time. I said, no, she just was past you, Aunt Barb. Okay, if, if it's not out of her way. It's kind of funny, you know. But she says, man, I love this church. But, you know, I'd talk to her. I'd say, well, we're going to go see Uncle Harold in heaven one day. Well, I don't know. I might be going down for that. I said, what are you talking about? She's joking. But I, I got to break that joke off of her. See? I said, now, do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? She says, well, yes. I was raised Baptist. I was baptized in the Baptist church. I said, when I was a kid. I said, well, it's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. I said, so you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe that he died on the cross for our sins? Yes. Do you believe that he was resurrected from the dead and went to heaven? Yes. I says, and the Bible says, if you believe that, you are saved. You're not going down, you're going up. I got her broke of that stuff, you know, finally, I think. Well, she doesn't joke like that anymore. But she's going up. She's so glad she knows she's going up. She, she can't wait to come to church. She'll say, when am I going to see you again? Sunday. We're going to see you at church, and we're going to go out to eat. She likes that. She said, I just love that church. And when she comes to the women's meetings, she said, I just love those ladies. She just can't get over it. said, see what you've been missing all this time? You don't have to miss out anymore. And she'll talk about Zach. says, he's just awesome. I said, yeah, I helped produce that. He's my son. She said, he's just awesome. Zach, an 83-year-old lady, thinks you're awesome. I think that's pretty cool. But the witness... He who came by the water and the blood. What happens when a woman's going to give birth? Her water breaks. You're born into this world. You have to come by the water first. And then the blood covers us and annihilates the sin that was in our life to where we're whiter than snow were purified by Christ. Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. It is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. Of course, we get baptized in water also. So, 
We have a witness that we are believers by being baptized in water. And then, but we don't get to do that until we're covered by the blood, until we've accepted Jesus. And he said, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Yeah, and then later, a few verses down, it says, He. Talk about the Word being a He. That's the Son, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There are three that bear witness, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. So on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. Guess what? You have a lot of blood in your body. It, uh, it's an amazing thing about the blood is it brings your nutrition and it carries out the trash. It's the same thing, same system, through the same channel. How many of y'all eat out of your trash can? No, you eat and then you throw your trash in the can. Well, your blood is an amazing thing because it gives you the nourishment and it takes out the trash at the yep. same time, gets rid of the garbage. Yep. But then the water, what percentages are body or person 70, water 70 percent man you drink a lot of water it's good for you yep. yeah it's awesome you don't need that coca-cola that stuff you got to drink a bottle of water for every bottle of coke you drink Probably bottled water for every cup of coffee you drink. Brother Sherman, we got to drink a lot of water, don't we? We like that coffee. He says, for this is the witness of God. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. Wow. Jesus gave us the way by his blood. We're three parts. Spirit, soul, and body. There's three things that give witness. There's the blood and the, and the water and the spirit. Anyway, witness of the work of God is the spirit, the water, and the blood. So cool. Amen. You know we're three parts. We're flesh, we're bone, and we're blood. That's why I believe in the Trinity. Everything, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, the blood, the bones, and the flesh, body, soul, and the spirit, everywhere you look, everything's in threes. Yep. It's amazing. Anyhow, in Hebrews chapter 4, I'm doing all right on time, aren't I? There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. Now, let me just say this. That rest is the place of the anointing. Hadn't Zach been telling us on Sundays, you got to get to that place where you just sit sometime and be still. You know he's God. You're just being still. That's that rest. You're sitting in the anointing. 
Instead of rushing out and you just make a decision, oh, I don't, oh, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. No, you slow down, you stop before you do something impulsive or compulsive. You know, you, you rest. Therefore, there remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. You know, I do believe in the Sabbath on Saturday because I don't do hardly anything on Saturday. I just talk a little bit with the Lord. I might watch a little football. We eat a little breakfast. I'm not in a hurry to do anything unless somebody's got an emergency. I don't run over to so-and-so's. And so on. I do enjoy the men's breakfast once a month because I like breakfast. I rest in that breakfast. But, you know, having church, you know, we call it the Sabbath, but the reality really is we're, we're activating our worship for the week and we're getting taught and we're enjoying it, but we're not just sitting around resting on Sunday. We're usually fellowshipping and all that. I think people, you know, the, Jesus said the Sabbath was not, we were not created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for us. So see, religiously, you know, uh, keep the Sabbath and it's holy, you know. But some people get too wound up. Oh, it's got to be on Saturday from sundown on Friday night to sundown on Saturday night. In Israel, they got an elevator that you just get on it. It opens automatically. You get on it because, you know, on Sabbath, we don't even push a button. Now, that's ridiculous. I mean, I got on that Sabbath elevator, and I said, oh, no, I got on the wrong elevator. Those people looked at me like I was crazy, but they were Jews. And it stopped at every floor. I had to go like the ninth floor, but it stopped at every floor until I got to the ninth floor. You know, because that was a Sabbath elevator. See, they get carried away with it. And we... We honor God every day of the week. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. He said, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. In other words, the place of the anointing, the positioning of being in God's presence. That is really the rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. When you're not rested up in the anointing, you're going to fall. You're going to mess up in disobedience. That's why you need to rest in his anointing. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Wow. Sharp on both sides. Cutting in and cutting when it comes out. Sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and as a conjunction. didn't say the soul from the spirit. So even to the division of the soul, what's in your soul? Your emotions, your thought life, your decision making, all that. It can divide your emotions from See, when you're emotionally 
put off. Oh, I can't believe it. Somebody upset me. And then if you let that bug you too much, you won't be able to make the right decision. So that's why he said, I can divide that. I can cut that so you won't be messed up by what somebody said. Because somebody's going to say something every day of the week. They're going to mess with you. So you can take authority over that by the word of God. But then he said, and spirit. Because you know some people in their spirit, they're raised a certain way. And, hey, I was raised classical Pentecostal. My grandma didn't wear makeup. She had long hair past her waist that she tied up and wrapped it around in a beehive. Kind of around her head, didn't she? Pastor Kim. She was a holiness gal. She only wore dresses. Man, if she saw my wife wearing pants, she kind of looked, had a stern look on her face. She checked her out. You know? My mom wouldn't even wear pants over to my grandma's house. She only wear a dress. See, that's where you're wrapped up in religion. What's he saying? You got to divide the spirit on that. Now, Paul did say, when you go to Rome, sometimes you have to do it like you're a Roman. In other words, if you're going to go into a high class business where everybody's in $700 suits, you may not even own a $700 suit, but you could put on a suit and a tie so you don't mess them up too bad when you go in there. I ask people when I go to preach places, I said, now how do y'all dress on Sunday? Y'all dress in suits and ties or do you wear, you know, casual clothes? They'll tell me. Well, yeah, we usually wear a suit and tie. Okay. Well, I got some of those in my closet. I'll bring one with me. That's true. I got a bunch of suits. Hardly ever wear them. But I'll take one with me. I'll probably take one with me, two maybe, when I go to this Baptist church. Because I'm pretty sure some of them are going to have on suits on Sunday. That's fine. You know what? Everybody always tells me I look good when I'm wearing a suit. It amazes me. I didn't, do I look bad when I don't have a suit on? They're going all about it so much when you wear a suit to church. <laughs> but, you know, you sometimes you make adjustments. But your spirit, man, I'm not going to be controlled by legalism. That's not really holiness. Holiness is the inward condition. Righteousness is the outward demonstration. So, I do agree that women need to be careful how they dress when they come to church. They don't need to be wearing real short skirts and blouses that are open up and show their bosoms and all that. They don't realize that's not doing the men any good, you know. So, you know, it's being right, not being wrong, but it's not holiness to not wear that dress that way, but it's not righteousness either. So there's a choice we make, and our spirit man tells us what that choice should be. See, The, the Word of God cuts in there and shows us. And of joints and marrow. You know, your joints, but the marrow is inside bones. Your blood is produced from the marrow. 
and bones. You know, your pelvic bones, one of the biggest bones, and, and what other bones are big? The ones in your thighs and humerus bone. All these bones that are big, it produces a lot of marrow. The blood is produced in there. That's why it's not good to get everything broken. Brother Sherman is a miracle. He had 29 broken bones. He had surgery. You know, your blood flow was messed up there for a little while because your bones were broken. That's where the blood's produced. So it's so important. But and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know. So the word of God discerns what your thoughts are and what they should be and what your intentions should be. See. So anyway, let me try to wrap up here. Statement number two is, on earth we must maintain our position on a daily basis. If you're going to flow in the anointing, you've got to do it on a daily basis. You don't just pray once a week, do you? You don't just read your Bible once a week. You read it some, you got to eat every day pretty much. I mean, you can fast a day or two and it's good for you. But you need to not just be spiritual one day out of the week. And so 1 Corinthians 15, 31, we need to die to self daily. I affirm by the boasting in, in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. In other words, my own desires, my own everything I want to do, I have to die to it. If God permits me to do it, fine. If he allows me to buy a ticket and go see a pro basketball game, that'd be great. But if he tells me I got to stay because somebody passed away and I got to go to a visitation viewing and preach a funeral, then I'll give my ticket to somebody else. See, I have choices to make. I have to die daily to my desires, my thoughts. Psalm 42, 1 and 2 says, As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? See, our souls need to thirst daily. i got to drink water every day. I drink water first thing in the morning when I get up. And I splash my face with water. And then I go and drink a cup of coffee. But I drink water before I ever drink a drop of coffee. Yeah. My body needs it. I thirst for it. Then Psalm 42, 7, just a few verses after. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. You, your spirit man is deep. You don't have to be deep in your talking about everything. But your spirit man, the deep things of God calls to the deep places in our hearts, in our lives. He wants us to enter into places that we've never even dreamed of. So this is the conclusion I have for you tonight. This. The power comes from walking in the anointing of God's presence. You're not going to walk in it if you're not immersed in it. And if you haven't filled up with it. Acts 5, 14 and 15, closing out. 
and believers were increasingly added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. I mean, when you're walking in the powerful presence of God, even your shadow could heal people. Peter was somewhat of a knucklehead sometimes. Always spoke out when he shouldn't sometimes, but he also heard from God. And finally God fine-tuned him. But even his shadow healed people. They'd lay them in the streets. Jesus was gone. The disciples had the power of the Holy Ghost. So God flowed through them. Even his shadow healed people. It's amazing how God will use us. And then Isaiah 52, 1 and 2. It says, Awake! Awake! That word awake, by the way, in Hebrew, it means to put on God's power. Wake up so that you can walk in the power of God. Put on your strength, O Zion. That's the church in modern terms. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. In other words, church is not going to be a place where all the crud of this world is acceptable. Now, we accept people to come in. How are they ever going to get free if we don't, you know, accept them, forgive them, and love them? But the reality is they can't stay that way. They've got to be changed. They've got to be made different like we were made different. So, you see, we got to wake up and walk in the glory and the power of God so others can come out of it. Yeah, it's an awesome thing to know Jesus. Stand with me. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we come before you. We submit our hearts to you, submit our lives to you. We want to walk in the powerful presence of God. We want the Holy Ghost to have a way in us like never before. Let us be a light in the darkness. Let us be water for those who are thirsty. Let us help others to know you and come into your presence with us in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.